This is Office Hours from Westminster Seminary, California. Call the show now at 760-480-8477. Email us at officehours at wscal.edu. Now, Scott Clark. Leaving a congregation and accepting a new call is one of the more difficult parts of pastoral ministry, and yet that is what Professor Jason Berry has done. This month, he joins us as Associate Professor of Practical Theology to serve in that department alongside Craig Troxell. For 18 years, he has been Associate Pastor and Pastor of Family Life at Rocky Mountain Community Church, PCA, in Billings, Montana. He has taught courses on counseling as an adjunct and visiting professor of practical theology here at Westminster Seminary, California, for 13 years. In some ways, this is a homecoming for Jason since he grew up in San Diego County and graduated from Westminster Seminary, California in 2003. He's spoken at conferences around the country for Peacemaker Ministries and the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. He's lectured internationally in Malaysia and Bangladesh and throughout northern Mexico. Hi, Jason, and welcome to Office Hours. Hi, Scott. Happy to be with you. We are so glad that you are here and that you made it safely. How was the trip? Thank you. It was amazing. We did a 6,000-mile-plus road trip, visited all three of our children, adult children, and uh, lots of friends along the way, hit about 20 different states, and uh, just yesterday, we landed in town, and we're happy to be here. Oh, wow. So that is a much bigger trip than I knew you were taking. So from where did you start? We started in Montana, Billings, Montana, where I had pastored for 18 years, and we took the long way to San Diego. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say, yeah, 20 states. I have driven to Montana from California and, and back. So, And I don't remember there being 19 or 20 states in between us. Indeed. We went all the way east as far as uh, Wilmington, North Carolina, and uh, yeah, lots of great stops along the way. It was a review of our history, our married history, lots of old friends, places that we used to live, college roommates, and uh, as I said, our three kids as well. So that was precious time. So you made a grand tour before you came to Escondido. Indeed, it was a grand tour. And I'm thankful we had the time to just decompress after a long ministry. It was great time for Kristen and me in the car and visiting old friends and family. I'm grateful for that season. Well, we want to come back to your time in pastoral ministry in Billings because uh, that's an important part of why you are here and what you're doing here at Westminster Seminary, California. But let's back up and start at the proverbial beginning. I don't think you were born and raised in Billings. Is that right? Tell us, where did you start? Right, right. Interestingly, I was actually raised in uh, San Diego, California, spent most of my life in Poway, where I grew up in a covenant home, graduated from Poway High School, which is about 9.4 miles from the seminary. So this is definitely something of a homecoming for me. Met my now wife in high school here in Poway and loved San Diego. Never thought I would leave, but college took me out to the East Coast in New York. Where did you go to college? Yeah, so I studied at West Point, 
just north of New York City. Okay. And for the listener who might not know what that means, it's a little more complicated than just studying at West Point, right? (laughs) I mean, so for most of us, when we went to university, we filled out an application, we filled out the FAFSA, and we did all of that stuff, and we waited for an acceptance letter. But that's not quite the way it works with military academies, right? That's true. That's true. The United States Military Academy required quite a bit of preparation, a congressional nomination. It was a long process that started when I was a sophomore in high school. So me heading out there in 1990 to study for four years, to earn a degree, a Bachelor of Science in Political Science, but also to prepare for a military service. After graduating from West Point, you're required to serve five years on active duty. And uh, that's what I did. Thank you for your service. Oh, thank you for saying that, brother. It was truly an honor. And I'm grateful for the many who served before me as well. Where and when were you stationed? So I was commissioned in 1994 as a military intelligence officer. So our first assignment was in Fort Huachuca, Arizona, just uh, near Tucson, uh, the Mexican border. I studied there for a year to be a signals intelligence officer. That was my specialty. So it made for a very interesting five years of service. I um, visited the National Security Agency several times doing all kinds of fun things. And I imagine some of which you probably can't talk a lot about, some of what you did. I could tell you, but I'd have to kill you. (laughs) Exactly. So uh, when did you leave the service? So I left the service in 1999, having served for just over five years. And I started summer Greek at Westminster Seminary, California, while I was on terminal leave from the U.S. Army. That's something with which the listener may not be familiar. It sounds worse than it is when you say terminal leave. What does that mean? It might sound like you had a fatal condition, and I'm pretty sure that's not what it means. Definitely Army jargon that I probably should avoid. But that just means the last of the leave that I had was used up. So while I was sitting in Dr. Baugh's summer Greek class, I was being paid by the U.S. Army for my final days of vacation, hence terminal leave. All right. That's nice. So you may or may not know this. You were driving all over the United States, but in our June episode of Office Hours, for that episode, I interviewed three graduating students, all of whom passed their finals and graduated, and uh, two of them were military veterans, both in the Navy, one enlisted and one graduate of the Naval Academy. And I asked them, which was harder, summer Greek or basic? Oh, that's a great question. And um, I'm curious about your answer. Yeah, which was harder for you, basic or summer Greek? I think I would have to divide the question and say physically, basic training was more difficult. Mentally, summer Greek was far more difficult. And so what was that like coming out of the Army and now you're sitting down and listening to Steve Baugh explain Greek and um, you're, you know, we call it boot camp Greek for a reason, right? That's all you do for a little bit of July and pretty much all of August. And uh, it's an all-consuming thing as you work through the primer, right? The introductory Greek text, memorizing your nouns and your verbs and your adjectives and, and learning how to put those things together. It was definitely a form of basic training but one that I was so thankful to be a part of. I think I was ready to start seminary. I was eager to jump in. We used to try to distract Steve with um, questions about ministry and questions about difficult Greek texts in the New Testament, and I loved it. 
I loved it. I was also at that time meeting kind of my core group of friends. We used to have a study group around the pool at the apartment where we all lived and Nate Hitchcock and a few others and I would uh, study and do our Greek flashcards, quiz each other into the night to make sure we were ready for the next day. So it was kind of the foundation of my friend group as well for seminary. You're listening to Office Hours from Westminster Seminary, California. You indicated that you were raised in a covenant home. So I often ask, you know, how did you come to faith? But you were raised in a Christian home. By the way, you're listening to Office Hours, and we're talking to Jason Barry, who is our newest faculty member. He joins us, and he'll be teaching in the practical theology department. So, Jason, tell us about your spiritual development, and what does it mean to be born into a covenant home, for the listener who may, may not be familiar with that language? Yeah, thankful to have grown up in a covenant home where my parents were both followers of Christ, and we honored the Lord's Day. We worshiped at Presbyterian Church, and I made a public profession of faith as a freshman in high school, thankful that really there were no days that I didn't know the love of Christ for me, a sinner. That said, I was largely oblivious to the depth of his love for me and the gospel and the importance of the means of grace. I was largely oblivious to the confessional foundation of that church and sadly the competing influences that were beginning to emerge at that time in the 90s with the Jesus seminar and the resurgence of a course in miracles. These things were happening around me. I largely missed them, thankfully. I'm thankful that there were a bubble of voices of truth that captured my attention, including my mom and dad and a youth pastor who loved me and cared for me well. So in 1990, I graduated from high school, and that's when I went off to college. I mentioned the challenges, the high bar of getting into West Point, and I think in some ways that fueled a self-righteousness in me. I was pretty fond of my track record, and that was a struggle for me, still is a struggle for me, that enemy of pride. So thankful that when I was at West Point, I connected with a godly group of mentors that really shaped my heart, pushed me into a deeper understanding of grace, the doctrines of grace, reformed theology. There was a chaplain at West Point. I remember one day I was in his office asking him all kinds of questions about redemption and, and how this comes about. And he reached back on his shelf and gave me a John Murray's Redemption Accomplished and Applied. And I still have that book. It's the one that I brought to seminary with me and read while I was in seminary. So that was a neat connection with my history. I think all of my military years were growth in spiritual depth. I'm grateful for that community that existed in the military, a real Christ-centered group of folks that mentored me well. It's always exciting to hear stories about covenant children being gradually and quietly brought to new life and true faith and maturing in their faith. Amen. I know that is an answer to uh, prayer, your parents' prayers and uh, prayers of your pastors and lots of other things. So, you know, sometimes there's a temptation, I think particularly in America, to look for the exciting conversion narrative. And, and sometimes there's even pressure to... Uh, 
to come up with now. <laughs> but we should be thankful when our children come to new life and true faith and when they appropriate by God's grace alone, through faith alone, all of the things that were promised to them in their baptism. So for you, as for lots of young men, your time in college was a uh, real turning point where you began to mature in your understanding of the faith and you began to appropriate, I think it might be fair to say, a more confessional understanding of the faith. Then you graduate, you're commissioned, now you have all these responsibilities, and you're off on your way to a career in the United States Army. And for graduates of the military academy, it's uh, oftentimes that's a lifetime career. Indeed. But obviously that's mm-hmm. not what you did. So what was happening in your mind and heart in the years while you were serving that made you think, you know, I think I really belong in seminary and I need to be thinking about and I need to be preparing for pastoral ministry. Tell us how you began to get clarity about your call to ministry. Mm-hmm. And I ask this because there is a listener right now who is wrestling with that question and uh, wants to know how you, Dr. Jason Berry, how, mm-hmm. how you worked through that for yourself. Yeah, so upon graduation from West Point in 1994, one other key data point is I married my high school sweetheart a week after graduation. So when I went to my first assignment in Fort Huachuca, Arizona, I was now a newlywed man. And we together were establishing our house and getting our feet under us, as it were, and settling into Fort Huachuca, where I was doing, as I said, a year-long military training course. And so that left a lot of time for investment in people and investment in ministry. So we plugged into the chapel there. Kristen and I taught a second grade Sunday school class together. We plugged into an officer Christian fellowship Bible study, which again, I mentioned this vibrant gospel community in the military, and that was a perfect example of it. A retired, reformed chaplain led that study. So as you said, Scott, that was one of those places where I was just deepening in my understanding of the confessional framework of viewing God's word through the lens of a historical confessions. Let's hear it for uh, faithful military chaplains. One of the things that we do here at Westminster Seminary, California, is to prepare men to go obviously, principally into pastoral ministry, but we have sent and do happily send men into the chaplaincy, military chaplaincy, hospital chaplaincy, police chaplaincy. But I think often of, um, and I now try to make a plea when the chaplains come, recruiters come to campus, you know, I make a plea for men to consider that as a viable field Amen. because, it, you know, you think about all the young men and women who sign up for military service and they go through basic, which is intentionally difficult, painful, disorienting. And then they you know, they go off to their uh, next stage of education and preparation for their service and then they get stationed somewhere and frequently this is the first time they've ever been away from home and uh, they've almost certainly never been through anything like basic before and then for some of them depending on what's going on in the world it can mean going off into combat which is almost certainly something that they've never been through before and so you know soldiers and airmen and sailors and marines uh, they and uh, even uh, coast guardsmen they face life and death questions you know on a regular basis. This is something they talk to you about in basic. So for there to be a godly, grounded, solid chaplain there, I think is uh, enormously 
beneficial. Obviously, there are complications with that, and I understand the questions. I'm not naive about the difficulties of all of that. Indeed. Here, here, you've already heard me mention two chaplains that were pivotal in my walk with the Lord. And the latter of those in Arizona, the retired chaplain Chet, he is the one who pointed me to the PCA. He's the one who said, hey, when you get to your first assignment, I want to encourage you to pursue a reformed church, to pursue the PCA. And we took his counsel. After a year in Arizona, we landed in uh, Augusta, Georgia. Fort Gordon was our first official assignment. And we, the second week, plugged in at Lakemont PCA. And I am so thankful for my four years there. Our pastor, uh, Walt Kendall, and his wife, Robin Kendall, were instrumental in our young marriage and in my trajectory towards ministry. For the first time in our lives, we were sitting under a weekly, a faithful, Christ-centered preaching. We were exposed to the Lord's Supper more regularly and began to understand its importance in the life of a believer. And then just interpersonal ministry. Walt invested in me. He pursued me. He invited me to a Saturday morning bagel shop breakfast where we studied the Westminster Confession of Faith. We worked through G.I. Williamson's study guide. And that was transformational for me. It was the first time I had done a deliberate study of the entire Confession of Faith. And he put a little book in my hand by Mike Horton called Putting Amazing Back into Grace. That was another life-shaping resource for which I'm very thankful. And um, Walt and Robin, as I said, also took an interest in our marriage. They counseled Kristen and me. They encouraged us to connect the realities of the gospel to the realities of our challenges in marriage. And that influence was significant in my sense of call to ministry. Walt not only taught me, but he encouraged me to come alongside him and begin teaching. So he and I taught a Sunday school through a First Corinthians where we alternated weeks and midweek we would sit down and encourage each other what went well, what could have gone better. And I was struck by Walt's incredible humility to think that I had something to offer him as much as he was offering to me was really life-shaping. And it was in that context of Little Lakemont Presbyterian Church in Augusta, Georgia, where I began to sense a call to ministry. And that call was confirmed by those around us. I was ordained as a deacon. I served for 18 months as a deacon and then was ordained as a ruling elder in that PCA church. And through those ministry experiences and the encouragement of the session, we began to look at seminaries. There are many important callings in this life. Physicians, nurses, police officers, and firefighters, they all save lives until Jesus returns. Everyone helped by a doctor, a nurse, a firefighter, or a police officer, however, will die. And then what? There is another calling that is vitally and eternally important, the ministry of the gospel. At Westminster Seminary, California, we've been educating men for pastoral ministry since 1980. Scripture says, After this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, 
To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's John 6, 66-69. Jesus does have the words of eternal life, and he's commissioned his church and his ministers, his servants, to announce them to the world. Perhaps the Lord is calling you to pastoral ministry or to some other kind of service. We're grateful for your prayers and support as we seek to continue to fulfill our calling to help men and women fulfill their callings for Christ, His gospel, and His church. WSCAL.edu, 888-480-8474, Westminster Seminary, California, for Christ, His gospel, and His church. Yeah, that was my next question. You're listening to Office Hours, and we're talking to Professor Jason Berry, who's just joined the faculty this month in our practical theology department. So you are beginning to think about the next phase of your life, and you're beginning to think about pastoral ministry, and you're beginning to think about seminary. How did you end up at Westminster Seminary, California, and why? Because obviously you had other options, and uh, you were a traveled man by that point and a ruling elder. So what was it about Westminster Seminary, California that drew you here? Yeah, indeed. We contemplated several seminaries that would have been a closer for us as we contemplated getting out of the army there on the East Coast. We thought about other seminaries. We made a trip back to our hometown And while we were here, did a tour of Westminster Seminary, California. This is 20 plus years ago now, but what I remember is the emphasis on scholar pastor. And that resonated deeply in my heart. I knew I had a lot of growing up to do in my understanding of the word, in my understanding of the confessions and creeds. And I found that emphasis to be very appealing. The second thing I found incredibly appealing is just the professors who were there. I thought these were men that I want to be like when I grow up. And I know, as Christ says, the disciple, when he's fully trained, will be like his teacher. So being around scholar pastors and learning from them was a huge draw. And I will say, when I think back on my seminary experience, it delivered exactly what I had hoped for. So I spent regular time in those faculty offices. In fact, by the time I graduated, I had been in every one of those offices for personal counsel, for additional instruction in Hebrew or Greek or church history or systematic. And they had taken time to invest in me. And for that, I'm eternally grateful. So that was the decision maker for me was the scholar pastor the emphasis on being specialists in the Bible, not just an emphasis on pragmatic, but an emphasis on the deep foundations that are vital to our faith. Well, that's encouraging to hear because that's, of course, what we're hoping to do is to take young men and help to mold them, to teach them the biblical languages and uh, systematic theology, church history, exegesis, all of those practical theology, all of those things, and help prepare them. Obviously, in seminary, we can't give men everything that they need, but the goal is to give them the tools they need and to prepare them to go out and to be of service to the church. And that's, of course, what you did. You got a call and you became a pastor. What happened and where did you go? Yeah, amazingly, just before my last year of classes at Westminster, 
I was invited to Billings, Montana to do an internship for the summer. So the summer of 2002, we took a long road trip up to Montana and I spent 10 weeks there, preached for eight straight weeks. The first time I had ever done that, met with almost every family in the church and had an incredible experience. I do remember beforehand, Peter Jones asked me if I would want to live in Montana and being a San Diego kid, I said, no way. I would never want to live. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, exactly. And the Lord sits in heaven and laughs and says, yeah, that's where you're going. Amen. Amen. And by our first week into that internship, I remember saying to my wife, I love it here. I would love to come back here. And that whole summer was very impactful in my preparation for ministry. Obviously, the rigors of preparing to preach weekly was new to me. Simultaneously trying to engage in a shepherding ministry and a counseling ministry, I felt the weight of that call in a way that I had not understood Thankfully, by the end of the summer, the session believed that God was calling me to be a pastor there. And so I was called to be the first associate pastor at Rocky Mountain Community Church in Billings, Montana, and uh, was thankful for that incredible opportunity. So my whole last year of seminary, I knew where I was going. I mentioned the shaping influence of that Uh Westminster Seminary, California graduate, Alfred Poirier, was the senior pastor there. He invested also weekly in my sermon preparation and delivery. We did lunches at um, various restaurants in Billings, and he would go over my sermon with me before I preached it. I would actually preach it to him on Thursday afternoons before uh, the Lord's Day preaching. And that summer was incredible such that when the session extended the call, we knew without hesitation that that was the place for us to go. So summer of 2003, we packed up the car again and moved for good from San Diego to Montana. And I say for good because I really did go with that in mind, that this was a call, that I was going to take it seriously, that I was going to invest a lifetime in these men, women, and children of Rocky Mountain Community Church. And I flat out loved being a shepherd of God's flock. I consider it an incredible privilege to be a steward of the mysteries of God, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4. I loved my congregation. Mm. Those were amazing 18 years. Weddings, baptisms, watching kids grow up, uh, high school graduations. The bookends of our ministry were during that summer of 2002. There was a covenant child born into the church family, and we celebrated with a baby shower. And just before we left, 18 years later, my, I get 19 years later, my wife, who's a photographer, took senior pictures of that young man who was preparing to graduate from high school. So that was a long ministry, about 50 weddings along the way, as many baptisms and the sadder side of ministry, too, with funerals and memorials and 
all of that life that made life as a shepherd such a joy for me to stand up and preach to a congregation that I know so well was amazing privilege. So that's what made the decision to leave so difficult. I said it was by far the most difficult decision of my life, leaving a church that knew us and we knew them and we loved them deeply. You're listening to Office Hours from Westminster Seminary, California. You do become so intertwined in the life of a congregation. And leaving a congregation is like a funeral of sorts. It's like a death. Amen. I think most pastors do with real hesitation. I can hear it in your voice, obviously, that uh, leaving Rocky Mountain Community PCA and, uh, and coming down here, back down here to uh, Westminster Seminary, California, was not an easy thing. But we're glad to have you. We're excited that you're here and excited about the gifts that the Lord has given you and the experience that uh, he has given you that you're going to be bringing to bear in the lives of the students. One of the things that you'll be doing is bolstering our offerings relative to counseling and uh, strengthening us in that way. Talk a little bit about your work as a counselor doing Christian counseling in Billings. Indeed. I think that was, in the start of my ministry, the greatest stretch, was just connecting the dots from the public ministry of the Word to the interpersonal ministry of the Word. How do I tailor this incredible, weighty, gospel news, this good news, tailor it and connect it to the life of a believer. One of the things I tell my students is just to be prepared for that moment when you step down from the pulpit and you engage with a member who is saying to you, I've never spoken to anyone about this before in my life, but I need to get it off my chest. Those are the moments when tailored ministry, careful ministry, deliberate interpersonal ministry, we need to be prepared for those moments. So that's one of my passions is to prepare future pastors to connect real God with real life. And we know that the word is sufficient. We know that God meets us in all of those varied circumstances. But taking the time to listen well to another person, to be able to adjust on the fly to what they're saying to you is probably my greatest burden as I think about the counseling ministry and its importance in the church. So I think it was taking all the great lessons of how to preach the word and then tailoring them to an individual who's sitting across from me. That was the greatest growth area for me in ministry. And that's my passion to pass that on to students, to give them confidence that they can sit across from a herding sheep and have words to say, to not be afraid to engage deeply with individuals, knowing that God's word is sufficient. So that requires nuance, uh, that requires a careful understanding of our limits as ministers. But one of my dreams is to really embolden those who are preparing for ministry, that they might confidently sit across from an individual knowing that they can engage meaningfully with these issues of life and death. Thanks for listening to Office Hours from Westminster Seminary, California. 
Don't miss an episode. Subscribe now to Office Hours in iTunes. Find all the shows at wscal.edu slash office hours. Copyright Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved.